Okay, the Hidden Yardage Podcast is hidden no longer. Great to be back on your feeds for a Victory Monday once more here at Blogging the Boys. I am Sean Martin. You can find me on Twitter slash X at SeanMartinNFL. Joined again, of course, by BTB's own David Howman. You can find him at underscore DH44 underscore. We get to bring back Triangle of Triumph this week. We get to talk to you on a Victory Monday, a one-point victory that ensures that the Cowboys will end the 2023 season undefeated at home. They extend their AT&T Stadium win streak to 16 games, and they didn't do it without some controversy. A light touchdown by the Lions of Monroe St. Brown gives them a chance to tie the game, take it to overtime. We know Dan Campbell, aggressive coach, will even die off this team. First Lions head coach to you know win the division in 30 years, was on the team that went 0-16. We know his story. We know he's playing for the win. Boy, did he ever, when they line up to go for two, convert, but they get the ineligible penalty, and David's going to explain all of that to us in just a second here. But you get the penalty, you back it up, you get an offside on Micah Parsons that negates a marquee spell interception, and then when it was all said and done, there was a third final stand by the Cowboys defense on a pass, sort of the goal line anyway, incomplete there by Jared Goff. They pick off Jared Goff twice in regulation play as well to really make their mark on this game, hold the Lions to 19 points and come out one point better in a kind of resilient bounce-back effort, 20-19. to 19. The Cowboys, even a record with the NFC North champion Lions, who are looking like the potential two-seed in the NFC at worst, they are 11-5, so is Detroit. So, David, a little do people know, uh, you actually were gifted the NFL rulebook for Christmas. It was the top of your wish list, and Santa made it... Uh, come true. So you've been pulling over that rule book ever since. And uh, so now you're qualified to talk about what happened there on the two-point conversion and the penalty that all but um, negated, you know, what could have been a Lions win and really sent Dallas to the third straight loss was not to be. T- talk to us about what happened there. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, credit to Santa Claus for knowing exactly what to get me ahead of time. He, he didn't even know what the game was going to be. And he said, I-, I have a feeling this rule book will help him out. So uh, credit where it's due there. Um, but, you know, really this is, I mean, overall, the, just this whole game, there were a bunch of different penalties and, and different things that happened, you know, with the, the fumble into the end zone with with the touchback, a few other calls where it's just kind of like, you know, tests your knowledge of, of various NFL rules and some of the, the more obscure kind of penalties and calls that you get in this game. But with this one, you know, coming at the end of the game, um, obviously it's, it's a high leverage situation, um, the way that it all unfolded. And, and so generally what happens is when, uh, a player who is not normally an eligible player. So usually this is an offensive lineman. In this case, it was an extra offensive lineman. When they come onto the field, um, they have to go to the head ref in this case was Brad Allen and they have to say, I'm reporting as eligible. And then the ref will say, they'll acknowledge them and then they go to the defense and let the defense know this number player is reporting as eligible. And then they go on the the speaker in the stadium and they announce number whatever is reporting as eligible. And at that point, once all of those different things have been checked off, then officially speaking, that player is now eligible, which means they can go out for a route. They can you know be the first player to touch the ball if you're not eligible, though, um, then there's rules about, like, you can't go a certain amount of yards downfield because that's ineligible man downfield. We've seen that penalty called a few times, you know, in various games. Um, you also can't be the first player to touch the ball uh, if you're not 
haven't checked in as eligible. And so what happened on this play, and it's really difficult because, you know, we're not in the conversation with the ref, but basically the Lions ran a trick play where they brought in an extra offensive lineman and they wanted Taylor Decker, their left tackle, to be the eligible player. And it was a trick play with him faking like he's blocking and going out to catch a pass in the end zone. And the Lions do this a lot. They run a lot of different trick plays. And we saw a lot of those trick plays in this game. And they're one of the best teams at doing it, not just the execution of the trick play, but the timing of when they call those trick plays. And so this is really, you know, this is something that they should be, they should have had down. They should be getting down, you know, pretty easily at this point, but they bring in Dan Skipper, who's their sixth offensive lineman. And, you know, there's a video that's been going around about, you know, showing the what we see as the exchange. Of course, you don't know the actual conversation, but what it looks like is Dan Skipper comes into the game and approaches the official, Brad Allen. And at the time that he's coming in, both Taylor Decker and right tackle Penny Sewell are up there talking to Brad Allen. And so a bunch of Lions fans are pointing to that and saying, see, you can obviously see that Taylor Decker is, you know, telling him, of course, they, they, you, know, you have to assume here what he's actually saying, but they say you can see that he's checking in as eligible. The issue is, generally speaking, only one player will go up to the ref and say, I'm reporting as eligible. There were three different offensive linemen for the Lions who came up here. And it's really hard to know why that is, what was happening, what was actually being said. But the fact of the matter is, Brad Allen walked up to the defense after that and said, Number 70, which is Dan Skipper, reported as eligible. And then he came over the speaker and said, number 70 has reported as eligible. So at that point, you know, just based on the general process of how these things go, according to the head ref, Dan Skipper, not Taylor Decker, is the one who is eligible on that play. And at that point, what the Lions really should have done is turned around and said, hey, no, actually, it's supposed to be this guy, not this guy. And you know, the, the ref probably most likely would have then said, correction, it's this player is eligible. Um, but they didn't do that. They lined up and ran the play anyway. And because Skipper was the one who was declared as eligible by the ref, that meant Taylor Decker was not eligible. Um, so when he runs out to go catch a pass, once he gets, you know, beyond a few yards downfield, technically that's a penalty for ineligible man downfield. Then when they throw it to him and he catches it, um, of course he catches it because he's wide open because the Cowboys aren't going to go and defend someone that they've already been told is not an eligible receiver. But he's wide open. He catches it. Then that's also the penalty for illegal touching because he, you know, according to what the ref said, was not eligible. And then as John Perry, the rules expert on the ESPN broadcast, pointed out as well, just from a formation standpoint, Taylor Decker was... Uh, covered up by Amon Ross St. Brown, the Lions receiver, which if you're an eligible player, um, so even if he had been properly uh, described as being reported as eligible, he still can't be covered up by another player on the line of scrimmage, which he was. And in the the pool report afterwards with Brad Allen, he even said that, you know, you know, even if, if he had been eligible, it would have been an illegal formation because he was covered up by the Lions receiver. And so that would have been another penalty that would have taken it back. So there were like three, really three different areas where this play would not have, you know, would not have stood 
regardless of whether Decker was correctly labeled as the one that they wanted to be eligible or not. Um, there were several mistakes, some by the officiating crew, some by the Lions, where they just they didn't take that extra step of ensuring that they were the right one, that they had everything in the right spot and everyone labeled correctly. So that's that's what led to that. And, you know, it, it's kind of a similar controversy to a few weeks ago with the Chiefs when Kadarius Toney, their Chiefs wide receiver, lined up offsides. And it undid a play that, you know, resulted in a touchdown, was a really cool uh, catch and lateral play and could have potentially won the game for them. And the Chiefs were all saying at that point, head coach Andy Reid even said, you know, usually you get a warning. Sometimes the refs will tell you, hey, you need to, you're lining up offsides and they'll give you a warning. And that may be true that sometimes the ref gives you the warning. It may be the case here where, you know, you want the ref to, you know, you think that the ref is the one who needs to clarify who is the eligible player. But in terms of the actual written responsibilities, um, it has always been the responsibility of the player to check with the ref to make sure they're lined up on sides. It's also always been the responsibility of the player to make sure that when that ineligible or when that eligible player is declared both to the defense and over the speaker, it's the responsibility of the players to make sure that they've gotten it right. It's not the ref's job to hold the player's hand, to walk them through it. They're not the paperclip on Microsoft Word who's like popping up and saying, hey, it looks like you're about to make a mistake. Would you like help with that? Control, well, delete the, right. the whole play call. <laughs> yeah, their 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 job is their job is to be there to make sure the rules are followed. And if the rules aren't followed, then they throw a flag and they you know ass- assess the appropriate penalty. And so, you know, the, the, there's a there's a valid criticism there of like the Lions thought they were getting this one guy eligible, and they said it was a different guy. But at the same time, when Brad Allen goes and says number 70 is eligible, that's when they should have turned around and said, hey, wait, it actually should be this guy. And they didn't. So, you know, it, it's not you can't just point out and say it's one person's fault solely or whatever. But by the rule of the law, the, the letter of the law, like they, they called that properly um, based on what had already been declared to the defense as being an eligible player. So, you know, it's, it's, I understand the frustration from Lions fans, especially because, you know, he catches that pass. It was a, you know, gutsy call to go for two. That's Dan Campbell's MO, and it's why the Lions have been able to have such a, a good turnaround. Um, and for it to pay off that way in such dramatic fashion, you know, it, it, I understand the frustration there. But at the same time, there were other steps that could have prevented it from becoming this, this problem, this penalty. And, you know, even if, again, like I said, even if he had been properly declared as eligible, it would have been an illegal formation penalty, uh, according to both John Perry, who said that during the broadcast, and then Brad Allen, who confirmed afterwards in the in the reporter pool that he was also covered up by the receiver. So all in all, like the execution of the play just was not there. And they, then they made the mistake and they ultimately paid the price for it. Um, you know, and, and even then, like they had two other shots at the two point try after that. And the first one, you know, Jared Goff throws an interception, but there was offsides. So they get another chance. They move up, you know, five yards and get another shot. And then they still didn't get it. So, you know, it's, 
it's it's frustrating, but at the same time, it was correctly called. That's that's how that process goes, and that's what led to the mistake and and the error and the controversy that is now ensuing around this game. And of all you said there, I'm really glad you brought up the the layers of the penalty and not just the ineligible and how it would have been called anyway with Amon uh, St. Brown covering up the player and you know the different ways that that would have that player would have been called back. Really helps us get to the point of how many other things happen from a Cowboys perspective in this game. It was really kind of a weird game because, you know, you kind of mentioned it there and I noticed this throughout as well. And I got it covered for us in our post game notes coming up at BTB, but it really felt like, and we know how prolific the Cowboys offense has been at home this year. So obviously they, they've warranted a ton of respect when they play on their home turf at at t stadium, but it felt like, Oh, like Dan Campbell, good call, great coach, aggressive, is the right decision. He's going to the playoffs. so could have a home game with Detroit. It's an incredible story. But it felt like this weird flow of the game where almost seemed like Dan Campbell wasn't coaching to the scoreboard, if that makes sense. I mean, it felt like they they were playing with such a high respect for, oh, every time Dallas touches the ball, we need to act like they'll get the score. Like, we're not really slowing him down. When their first score was a 92-yard touchdown that could have been a safety sack. And then at halftime, this is a seven to three game. So it was a low scoring game that we expected a shootout, but it was still playing out like a shootout, if that makes sense. With the way the Lions tried to, you know, match up, knowing that the Cowboys can score at any point. And, you know, they did score late with both Brandon Cooks and Brandon Aubrey in the fourth quarter to give them a seven point lead. But that's why it remained just a one-score game and gave the Lions a chance to not only tie, but then go for the win before all controversy broke out. But very interesting kind of overall strategy and game plan, I thought, from Dan Campbell. So now looking at that from the Mike McCarthy Dallas Cowboys perspective, you know, where does this win put them? How do you feel about this one going into now the road game against the Commanders and then the playoffs? Is it one where you say, hey, all of our veterans stepped up? That's a good sign. Demarcus Lawrence, Jordan Lewis, uh, Dak Prescott, Brandon Cooks. All these guys stepped up. That's what we needed to snap a losing streak, get back on the right track, prove we can win close, high-scoring games. They haven't done so on the road yet, but prove you can do it at home against probably one of the better home opponents that they've seen, of course. Or does it is it cause for concern knowing that the offense you know, only managed the 10 points two weeks ago in Buffalo, 20 points against the Dolphins, and that wasn't just quite good enough when they lost 22 to 20. And then the same 20 points happens to be one point good enough. Does that give you kind of an uneasy feeling knowing that they're not playing exactly their most efficient, high octane, best football of the year, but they did still find a way to put it in a win column based on, like I said, a seemingly very unique, interesting game plan from Dan Campbell that kind of helped the Cowboys along the way. Yeah. Well, I I think um, before I really get into that, I also just want to point out another thing since we were talking about like, you know, the, with the flow of this game and some of the some of the interesting things that happened, whether it was the way that Dan Campbell was calling the game um, or, uh, you know, the like I mentioned, CeeDee Lamb fumbling into the end zone, getting the touchback. You know, we, we've seen that kind of play a million times and CeeDee, you know, is such a good player. Most of the, you know, ten out of, nine out of ten times he's getting a touchdown there and it just happened to be the one where he fumbles it and they get the touchback instead. Um, another thing that, that pointed that I, I noticed during the game uh, then saw after the game, once the all 22 film came out that actually kind of surprisingly Adam Schefter tweeted out Sunday morning um, 
you know, on the Cowboys final drive, uh, offensive drive before that play or that drive that resulted in the controversial two point play. There was also, um, you know, right after Donovan Wilson got his interception, the Cowboys come back on the field in Detroit territory um, and their very first play, they get a seven yard run and it ends up getting wiped out because Peyton Hendershot was called for tripping. And that happened like right as we went to the two minute warning break. So they didn't play a replay of the actual penalty. A lot of people have since posted the the footage, both from the broadcast and from the all 22 film. And I mean, it just, it doesn't look like there was a tripping penalty. Um, some people have said if there was a tripping penalty, if anything, it was on Lions edge rusher, Aiden Hutchinson, who was the one that was engaged with Peyton Hendershot. Um, and so like Adam Schefter tweeted it out and said, you know, th- this could have been, you know, Instead, it was a 15-yard penalty on the Cowboys, put them at first and 25, put them in kind of a weird spot where like they ended up throwing to try to get those yardage back because they weren't in field goal range at that point. But also, you want to run the ball to run the clock out. Um, but if they had, I mean, if they had called no penalty, then it would have been second and three. And if they had called the penalty on uh, on Aiden Hutchinson and on Detroit, then it gives you first down, it gives you, you know, extra yardage and then puts the Cowboys in a spot where they're probably going to be able to run the clock down completely and get out of there with a win. So there were, there were definitely misses that were very impactful for both teams all throughout the game, but especially with that one on that penalty called on Hendershot, the, the, the issue of like, did he, or did he not report as eligible? Like who was supposed to be eligible? Um, You know, and all around, like, not the best, not the best performance from the officiating crew in this one. Um, and, you know, if if that call on Hendershot goes a different way, then Lions probably don't even have a chance to go down and score that touchdown and then go for two. Um, but it was, I mean, it was that kind of game, you know, all, all, all game long where it was just kind of, like you said, it wasn't, the score wasn't a shootout, but it felt like a shootout. These, these two teams were kind of trading punches and, uh, you know, right, right when the Lions got that ball back for their final drive, I tweeted out like, "If the Lions go down and score here, you just know that Dan Campbell is going to go for two, and that's exactly what he did. And that's that's his style. That's how this Lions team plays. Like, they're you know, if they win, they're going to do it on their own terms. If they lose, they want to do it on their own terms, and that's how they play. And and to an extent, that's kind of how the Cowboys play too. So that's why I feel really good about the Cowboys after this win." Just because, you know, with with this stretch of games where, you know, they played the Eagles and then they had the road trip against the Bills and Dolphins and now the Lions, we all knew going into that stretch that this was going to be kind of a, a test of what they could do in the playoffs. Obviously, you know, losing both games on the road, you don't feel great about their chances going on the road. But, I mean, they went to Miami and Miami's one of the best teams in the AFC and they went toe-to-toe with them. Like Dak Prescott went down and he led his he led his offense on a go-ahead touchdown drive. He did what had to happen in crunch time to give them the lead. And the defense had been pretty good all game long. And then they, you know, gave up that, that really long drive with a bunch of first downs and, and let him get into uh, field goal range. Um, but just the, the nature of that game and how it was just so close, they were just going toe to toe with one of the best teams in, in the NFL. Um, obviously it didn't work out in their way, but I think you like being able to see that this team could hang with a team like the Dolphins. And then the next week going up against the Lions, uh, granted it's at home, but this is another team that like 
the Lions are not going to make anything easy. They're not going to, you know, they're they're going to leave everything out on the field. They're they're going to go, you know, shot for shot. Every single play is designed to beat you. Every single play is designed to win the game. And and they're not even trying for overtime. They just want to win it in regulation, and that's that's their mo. And so to to go against a team like that, especially with some of the success that they were having in this game, and to be able to come out victorious, I think uh, is. I mean, obviously it's a win as in they got the win, but it's also kind of a moral victory too because, you know, it gives you confidence that, hey, we went toe-to-toe with Miami last week. Things didn't work out. But then this week we went toe-to-toe with Detroit and we were able to come out on top and we were able to get the win. And that's, I think, uh, so some of the the underlying criticism with, you know, how the Cowboys had all these these huge blowout wins all year long and it was like, well, you can play when you, you know, if you get a lead early and you can blow them out and you can get a big win, but that's not going to happen in the playoffs. And now, you know, two weeks in a row, they've played kind of what feels like a playoff game where it's very close against very good teams. And they're one and one, but both of them were very close and they were, they were highly competitive. They were able to go down and take the lead in the fourth quarter. And I, I think that's, uh, that offers some confidence. Obviously the Bills game, uh, is kind of its own thing where nothing went right in that game. I think there's a lot more um, that you can point to in that game of, you know, whether it was the the weather, whether it was, you know, the way that the Bills came out and offensively, like they had a game plan that I don't think anybody expected them to be that run heavy. I don't, I don't even know if I imagine the Bills probably when they, Found out that's that was going to be the game plan for the week. They were probably the players were probably. I think like, it caught us that one by surprise too. Yeah, I, I think they were probably like, "Oh, okay." I mean, sure, we're like we'll do it, and you know, I, I think that game is kind of uh, almost has to be treated as like a one-off because it was just kind of there were a lot of conditions that make it kind of weird. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely feel more confident than I did uh, after that, that Bills loss, I feel more confident than I did after Miami. And um, I'm not going to sit here and say they're definitely, you know, going to run the table and go all the way to the Super Bowl. I'm not that confident, but I do. I feel better for sure after watching this game. And to see the Lamb fumble into the end zone, probably the clearest example of what I was talking about, where the Lions defensively played with a lot of respect for how the Cowboys can move the ball downfield because immediately after that happened was the drive where they ran the fake punt inside of their own 30. They did bring that drive all the way down to the red zone, but then it became a turning point in the game as another aggressive fourth down call by Campbell netted them no points. They go for it on fourth and goal and came up short as Micah Parsons had the pressure to force the inaccurate high pass from Goff out of the end zone. And that was the end of the drive with the Lions. You know, made it clear they needed points. They went fake punt. And I knew that they practically just gave up a touchdown and likely would have put the Cowboys at 27 points. So let's assume the Cowboys did score, you know, 27 in this game. It still would have been the lowest scoring home output of the year. They've scored 30 in at least every game. They've scored exactly 30 in that week two win against the Jets, 30 to 10. So that kind of puts us talking about Dan Quinn's defense because, you know, they made 20 points stand up, which is something they couldn't do last week. And I noticed a seemingly a pretty big adjustment in how they were able to do so and how they were able to get more comfortable in these nickel and dime defensive sets that they play. We know, you know, they're thin at the traditional linebacker spot. They're going to play a lot of defensive backs and it paid off. Jordan Lewis was not only making the interception against his hometown team, but 
was great in run support. Once again, Donovan Wilson, great to see him uh, come down from his safety spot and get an interception. He had inside help on that play from Jaron Coast, so he was able to not go for the, the route, break it to the inside and undercut it going towards the sideline, make the interception that very well could have sealed the game. But of course, we know it didn't, and a whole lot happened after that. But still, the two interceptions to put the Cowboys back in a turnover column for the first time in two weeks. But I noticed the biggest change up front behind what's happening with those extra defensive backs and shots on the field. And it was aggressive by Dan Quinn, but man, did it pay off. This team was just living in their pass rush all up front. I mean, there's a chart that comes out every week. I don't remember the exact Twitter account that has it. I'll make sure to retweet it this week and include it in an article. But it shows the best four pass rushers on every team by efficiency and you know which one's getting the most pressure. And the Cowboys have dominated all year with – you know, what you can call it a NASCAR package. I know that's kind of an outdated term, but NASCAR look of Parsons, George Armstrong, Dante Fowler, and I believe Sam Williams is in there as well. Point being, their speed rushes, their fast guys that can get after the quarterback have made a living doing so when they can be in that personnel and not be afraid of, you know, the other team running the ball right at them, like Buffalo did, even though that was a one-off, as you said, or any other team has really tried to do so against Dallas to avoid these high-scoring types of games. Seem, seems like the Lions were in favorable down distances for most of the game, but the Cowboys just said, we'll get all even our pass rush looks and see if they can stop the run. And there was run stops all night long from Dante Fowler in big spots, Michael Parsons flying off the edge to Marcus Owens. How about a turn back the clock type of game from him lining up on the edge, lining up inside. I mean, this pass rush look gave him good run defense as well. The Lions went up against the Vikings last week in an emotional game that saw them clinch the division. That's a Minnesota defense that has gotten a lot of credit this year under Brian Flores. A little bit similar MO to Quinn in terms of aggressiveness. The Vikings like to blitz a lot more, and you know they kind of have to when you don't have the defensive line talent that Dallas has. But still similar aggressive attacking style of defense that the Lions went up against last week, and they played with similar balance. You know They played with 36 rushes, 40 passes against the Vikings, that four-pass difference and it netted them 30 points. They ran for three touchdowns, and Amon Ross St. Brown had a 25-yard score. Same four-pass difference against the Cowboys with 31 rushes and four more passes to 35, and it only netted them, of course, the 19 points, their third lowest output of the season when they lost 38-6 to to the Ravens and 28-13 to in a surprise at home to the Chicago Bears. So, you know, Cowboys defense able to kind of do something that hasn't happened all year to the Lions, and Getting those pass rush looks on the field really went a long way. And you could say, oh, well, the Lions all year have been hampered by you know their ability to not want to turn around and hand the ball off. But the numbers show that they handed it off just as much as other games that they've been successful. And it just wasn't there against uh, the Dallas defensive line. that kind of changed their things up and had a big performance. Held the Lions to 4-13 on third down in this game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh... – I feel conflicted because I'm like, it, overall, it was a very good performance on defense and, and a lot of the players made plays and the the, the big name players really stepped up. Um, but also, I just remember on that final drive, I was just so infuriated with how, how Dan Quinn was calling the game. and, and They like, got away from everything I just said there. Yeah, they, yeah they, they, I mean, they were playing aggressive all game long and it was working for them. And then, you know, in the two minute drill, you know, Detroit has less than two minutes and, and I think it was like just over a minute and they had no timeouts and you're 
you're giving, you know, 10 yard cushions to all the receivers and you're just rushing four for the most part. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and that's the second week that now in a row where again, Dak has gone down and done his part. He's given them the lead. The Cowboys always talk about like, you know, our defense is best when they're playing with a lead. That's why, you know, recently they've been choosing to, to take the kickoff to open games because they want their offense to go score, get a lead, let this defense do what they do best, which is play with the lead. Now two straight weeks, you know, in, in fourth quarter in crunch time, they're playing with a lead and they're giving up a score and they're just getting, you know, against Miami, they got run all over and, you know, put them in a, in a bind of, of Miami only needing a field goal. And in this game, like they, they have to go 75 yards and get a touchdown and they do it. And they did it with, you know, 20 something seconds left on the, on the clock. Like they didn't even really break a sweat. They, they were, they were moving the ball. They were guys were getting wide open. And I'm like, what are you doing? Dan Quinn? Like, obviously he knows a whole lot more about football than I do. He's been coaching for a very long time. He's been a successful head coach and has been an incredible defensive coordinator in Dallas, but it's just so frustrating one to see you go away from everything that's worked in the game in crunch time and be like, okay, we're just going to play everybody back and we're going to do what is, you know, do to do the opposite of what has worked for us in this game and worked for us all season. This is a very aggressive defense. And then also, you know, what everybody forgets is after the two point conversion, they got called back, you know, the lions went for two again and they get the interception. What would, would have been, well, I guess it technically wouldn't be counted in the box score since it was a two point play, but would have been their third time intercepting Jared Goff on the night. And it doesn't count because again, you know, the, the most penalized team in football, the most penalized defense in football they get another penalty and they had a defensive offsides. And so the play didn't count. You give them, you know, a few more yards, you give them a third shot at winning the game and you just can't do that. Like they, they gave them chances all the way on that drive. They get a lucky break with the legal touching penalty. And then they give them another shot after that with more undisciplined play from the defense. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, we got to fire Dan Quinn. I'm not going to do that because <laughs> Dan Quinn is obviously, you know, one of the very best defensive coordinators in the NFL. And each of these last two hiring cycles, he could have had any head coaching job he wanted. And he's chosen to stay with the Cowboys. And I'm happy that he's chosen to stay with the Cowboys. But it, it all also is just like it's frustrating to see that happen and continue to happen. And these small problems that can, you know, come back to haunt you in close games like this continue to happen. And it's like, like why? <laughs> why why is he still doing this why is he still making these mistakes like you just you expect just a little bit more from someone of of his his stature and his experience and so um yes overall loved what i saw from the defense and the way it was called but that final minute mm, I, I don't i want to see that get cleaned up going into the playoffs that that's really what makes me nervous is if the cowboys are defending a close lead uh, against a playoff team in, in that final drive, I'm going to be feeling a little bit nervous until this Cowboys defense and, and specifically Dan Quinn proves me otherwise. Now with just a road game at Washington to look forward to before the playoffs, does this team need to lean more into everything you said there about Dan Quinn's defense, you know, the good and the bad, but take what they can get with it and, you know, lead into that being their identity and expect to score closer to these in this 20-point range, they're averaging 
41 points per game at home, but just a 20 against the Lions, which is much closer to the 21 and a half they average on the road, which we you know sure could see them have to play on in the playoffs. So do they need to lean into the Stan Quinn defense and just adjust what happened in the last minute against the Lions and take all the positives from the rest of the game, like the takeaways, the run defense, and the pressures? Or are you trusting Mike Moore and Mike McCarthy's offense to, you know, bounce back's not the right word. They still were efficient against the Lions. You still had CDIM go for 13 catches, 227 yards, break the single-season receptions record, break the uh, single-season yards record, scored the longest touchdown of his career, second longest touchdown receiving in Cowboys history. So it was still a highlight game for Mike McCarthy's offense at times, but did I need to get better on that side of the ball too and lean more into that identity uh, come playoff time? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I would go with the offense being more their identity going into the playoffs. Um, I, I know that they feel really good about their defense and have, and, and for rightfully so, like since Dan Quinn got there, that's definitely been the strength of this team. Um, you know, when you have a guy like Micah Parsons, in addition to all the other really talented players on defense, like it makes sense to say that that should be your identity, but I'm just looking at some of the other playoff teams that are going to be there in the NFC. And I think even with the Cowboys being on the road, I like their, their opportunity for really good offensive performance in those games. Cause a lot of these teams are teams that they've already faced and a lot of them don't really have the best defense out there. Like, you know, the Eagles, obviously, you know, two different games against them and the offense has really done well in both of those games. They just played the lions. And even though it wasn't, you know, what we expect from the Cowboys when they play at home, it was still an efficient game. Dak Prescott had a good game. CD lamb was just absolutely on fire, unreal. And, um, you know, and then you look at, uh, you know, you, you look at some of these other teams like, you know, the Rams, maybe they're making the playoffs. We already saw what the Cowboys could do against that defense. Um, you know, the Buccaneers look like the favorite for the, the NFC South. Um, but uh, I mean, 
any of those teams in the NFC South, like their defense is very vulnerable. And really the only NFC playoff team whose defense really makes me nervous is the 49ers. But also, you know, we, we've been down that road. We know that, you know, you're, if you're, if you're playing the 49ers, like it doesn't matter if offense or defense is your identity, your chances of winning that game are very, very slim one way or the other. So that, you know, I don't, I don't know if, it really makes it makes a difference not to sound defeatist, but um, if they're going into a playoff game against the 49ers, I don't know that I like their chances, regardless of what happens over the next couple of games um, in the regular season to start to start the playoffs. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, obviously you want both offense and defense to be playing lights out like they have for most of the season. But I really think if, if Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy are just, you know, just absolutely in sync and Mike's in his bag as a play caller and Dak is doing things like he did on that 92 yard touchdown to CD lamb. I think that gives them the best shot of making a deep playoff run. Um, just going crazy on offense. Cause you know, you're going to get some splash plays from the defense, even when they're having a bad day um, where I, I like to, I would rather just have really great offense and, and hope for some occasional big plays at the least from the defense. Let's go ahead and get to our triangle of triumph. We should mention, you know, hope our listeners, of course, are enjoying a Victory Monday episode. That in its own is good enough in terms of it's a Victory Monday. It is a Saturday Cowboys win, so it perhaps gave you a less stress-free New Year's Eve on Sunday, but still a full slate of NFL Sunday games that we don't know the outcome of at the time of this recording. So Victory Monday could get a whole lot better in terms of the Cowboys needing a Philadelphia lost somewhere along the way here, and they play the Cardinals. So whether or not that happened when this show comes out after the Eagles and Cardinals meet in Philadelphia, we could see the Cowboys back in first place in the NFC East. If not, we'll be right back here next week to talk about what happened between Cowboys commanders and then Eagles at Giants and how that all settles the division and where, of course, both teams will be playing in the postseason. But when the Cowboys win, we have Triangle of Triumph. I'll go ahead and get us started, David. I'm going to start off with Demarcus Lawrence. Like I mentioned earlier, turn back the clock performance from him. We, we've known about his run defense forever at this point, but he was getting home in the pass rush as well, getting pressures. Him and Parsons forced uh, Goff to step up into the arms of Dorrance Armstrong, which is actually the Cowboys' only sack of the night. Felt like they had more, but they were affecting Goff, but only finished that one sack, and Orange was a part of the play. So he is my first leg of the triangle. Second leg, of course, we have to mention Jimmy Johnson going into the Ring of Honor halftime ceremony. How cool was it to see ESPN, you know, cut away from their halftime festivities and commercial breaks and what have you to show the importance of this and carry it with, of course, fellow Ring of Honor Hall of Fame member and teammate Troy Aikman there calling the game and then going down to the field at halftime. I was at the game this year with DeMarcus Ware went into the Ring of Honor against the Rams so I can speak to how well the Cowboys, you know, do these ceremonies and show their history proudly in front of the fans. And that was on full display, not just for those in attendance at AT AT&T Stadium, but everybody watching on ESPN as well. Well Well-deserved for Jimmy Johnson. And then back to the field for my third one, we're going to go with Jordan Lewis. Did get banged up a little bit, but stayed in the game. And that was important. He's a crucial part of the secondary ever since Trayvon Diggs went down. We know Deron Bland kind of immediately took that spot and ran with it with the flashy plays, the pick sixes, and gotten his name in the spotlight plenty. But Jordan Lewis on the inside has been a key member as well. His run support was big in this game. And 
you're going to need him to make some clutch plays throughout the postseason, it seems, if this defense is going to do what it's capable capable of for this team to go as far as I'd like them to see. So great to have a triangle of triumph back in the show for the first time in three weeks, and I will complete it with Demarcus Lawrence, Jordan Lewis, and Hall of Fame head coach, Ring of Honor member, how about them Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson. I love it. I, I actually, you stole my thunder. I was going to do Jordan Lewis too, because um, he – he, I mean, he had a great game uh, in this one, and, and the play that he made to, to pick off that screen pass was a really special one, too, that you don't see very often. And uh, anybody who um, reads my weekly Cowboys Analytics Roundup article knows that I've been pointing out every single week, like, Jordan Lewis has kind of been the weak part of this secondary, you know, playing in the slot. And not that that's necessarily calling him a bad player, because we all know the injury he had. Like, it's a tough, tough deal for him to even be playing at this point, the injury was at one point career threatening. And for him to now be playing, like, you know, being a starter, he came into the season, not expecting to be the starter. Um, he's really rounded into form the last few weeks. So uh, love that he got the the recognition from you there, but um, I'll, I'll go with my, my first leg of the triangle of triumph. And I'm going to give it to TJ Bass who came in and of course had to finish out the game at, at left guard and relief of Tyler Smith um, everything sounds good, mostly good with Tyler Smith. Um, seems like it's not going to be an injury that's going to keep him out for too terribly long. Um, might even be able to play this week uh, against the Washington. We'll see. But um, for Bass to come in, and of course Bass being an undrafted rookie, he's gotten a, a good amount of reps this year, playing both left guard and right guard. Of course, he got his first career start in that week three game against Arizona. Obviously didn't go too well for him, but we've seen him grow, you know, throughout this season and the reps that he's been getting. And to come in again in, in a game like this where it's not a blowout win, it's very much a close one where the Cowboys have to pull out all the stops offensively to go out there and, and try to win this game. And for him to be thrown in uh, to left guard, which he hasn't played left guard in a game in, in a while now. Um, and, and he played well. He did not give up a single pressure all game. Granted, he was only there for about half, you know, the less than half of the game. But still, from where he was in week three when he had to start against the Cardinals, like that's just so much growth. So I'm I'm very feeling very thankful that he's uh been able to to grow and develop through this season and give them give the Cowboys a, a viable backup option at that interior guard spot. Um and then the the next leg is gonna have to be Brandon Cooks who, you know, I, I could take the low-hanging fruit, of course, and give it to CeeDee Lamb because, my goodness, what, what a game he had, um, just breaking all the records. And uh, the, the, that one huge catch that he had, that alone would have been good enough to, to have a great day. And then he went ahead and got all the other catches too. Uh, but Brandon Cooks, I thought, was, you know, had a very, very underrated uh, game in this one um, where he uh, – he on on the drive where he caught the touchdown, the game, the go ahead touchdown, um, which was a great route from him and a great throw from Prescott. Earlier in the drive, though, they had a, a third and five where Dak was just immediately under pressure. The Lions had a really well timed blitz call, and Dak just kind of had to unload that one really quickly. He did not have time to go look through his reads and see who was open. He just he saw the free runner and he just said, "All right, I've got Brandon Cooks running deep. I'm just going to launch it to him, and I hope that he's there and open." And Cooks was exactly where he needed to be. Um, you know, he he was there to to 
you know, make the catch. He hauled it in right on the sideline, picked up about 20 yards. And I mean, this was a good game from him all around. He had five catches, 60 yards. And then of course the touchdown that put them ahead. Um, so really, really good game from Cooks who hasn't had the most production the last couple of weeks. So it was nice for him to get involved again. And uh, you know, he, he hasn't necessarily been the, the star player that everyone you know hoped that he would be, but he's been very consistent and he's been very clutch too. He's, you know, he hasn't always had the biggest games, but he's had moments where he comes up and just makes big plays, whether it's on third down, whether it's a touchdown when they really need one. His veteran presence has been a huge addition, um, and and he had a great game against the Lions. Uh, and, and then I'll close it out with my third leg, which uh, fittingly is the most important leg on the team, being kicker Brandon Aubrey, who continues to be perfect, continues to be flawless from field goal range, um, and had another game where they asked him to make a few kicks and he just responded each time, just absolutely perfect. And with, with all the drama that the Cowboys have had a kicker for quite a few years now, um, you know, really since the Dan Bailey era ended, it, it's been just so like unnaturally relaxing and reassuring for Brandon Aubrey to come in and, and just, you know, now when he goes out there at the beginning of the season, we were like, I don't know what we're getting with this former soccer player. We barely saw him in preseason. And now when he goes out there, it doesn't even matter now if it's like a 60-plus yarder. We're just like, yeah, he's he's probably going to make it. And he was the model of consistency once again. So um, we're, uh, you know, the Cowboys were able to get the undefeated at home. Now they're one week away from Brandon Aubrey being able to be perfect on the whole year from field goal range. So um, that that's really exciting and definitely uh worthy of Brandon Aubrey getting that, that third leg in my triangle of triumph. As always, we thank RJ Ochoa, managing editor here at Blogging the Boys, for the opportunity to do this podcast, to bring you our thoughts on the Cowboys at bloggingtheboys.com. So what better way to thank an Aggie than to end the show mentioning the Texas Longhorns who play today in the college football playoffs. So you can enjoy Texas and Washington, as well as, of course, Michigan and Alabama from the Rose Bowl. So, Texas and Washington will play for a trip to the national championship. Dallas and Washington commanders will play to end the regular season. And that is when you'll hear from us next after week 18. And we'll get you ready for the Cowboys postseason matchup, which we'll know after that game and after the Eagles and Giants square off as well. Until then, enjoy the rest of your victory Monday. Hope everybody had a great Christmas weekend, New Year's, all these things flow together, but football is kind of the one constant for all of it. I've been watching a ton of bowl games, all the NFL action. We'll keep you posted everything at bloggingtheboys.com. For David Howman at underscore DH44 on X, I am Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL. Follow us at Blogging the Boys as well. And there it is. Mm-hmm.